Luke chapter 5, 1 to 32, and it's on page 1031. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. When he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man onto a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
So he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Before I get started, I just wanted to mention the Catherine trip. Uh, don't forget in the booklet there, if you've got a booklet, uh, all the, the, some of the details for it. We met last night for the first time um, and, and uh, things are underway and there's people keen to go. Um, we, the first 12 people will get to go um, uh, on, on that uh, mission trip in August. Um, and if you see there on page 9, on the 14th of April, we've got a BCA mission night, prayer and info for the mission trip, but not just not the mission trip. It's a, a night where we're all going to come together and hear about mission work and what it's like to work in the bush and have a great night of encouragement together and get on board. So mark that in your diaries. I just thought maybe that's um, slipping past people. So that's going to be a great night of fellowship um, as well to, to come along to. Uh, it, uh, for the talk, the outline was on page seven, but Peter was actually preaching, um, so that's his outline. Um, and so uh, you can scribble around that, and I'll try and help you follow on. But uh, uh, I'm I'm, I'm uh, doing it a little bit differently to the way that Peter um, structured the outline. Um, so sorry about that, but I'm sure you don't mind at all. Let me pray, and then we're going to get straight into. Um, some fascinating stories, aren't they? As you heard them read, they really are. So let, let's let's uh, see um, what we can make sense of them all. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can uh, come together today with heavy hearts, but with thankfulness that we can have fellowship together and uh, hear from you. And as we've just heard your word and as we reflect on it now, we pray that we will see clearly how you see us and be challenged to think about how we need to see you, your son. Amen. Let me ask you, what's the problem with middle-aged men? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> well, what problem would you say there is with middle-aged men? I would, I'm a middle-aged man. What problem, maybe there's lots of problems that you can think of that you're not willing to say because you don't want to offend uh, usually you're willing to offend me, but what, what problem is there? Well, there's one that is almost universal. Identity crisis, no identity crisis yeah, absolutely. Um, although I think that transcends just middle-aged men. I think more and more, that's a human crisis, actually. Um, I, is a problem that no matter how obvious it is and how big the need is to go see the doctor, the dentist, or any other healthcare professional... We refuse to think we need to go. 
You know, the, the, the arm could be half off and bleeding and you think, it's all right, it'll heal itself. I'll just wrap it up with a bandage. Or the tooth may have fallen out and it gets festy and festy, but I don't need to see a dentist. It'll be fine. I'll just stick it back together. And we often don't want to go to the doctor. Actually, often we don't want to go to those things that aren't obvious and ridiculous, like I just said, but a need of what's going on inside. Never mind psychological needs, which actually middle-aged men need to get over and deal with so they can have a more functional life and, and, and love their families and their workplace, be functioning better, but we refuse to see that need. It goes beyond just middle-aged men. It's often what uh, we, we do in all sorts of ways. But this passage today, one of the things of many, and I just, just thought I'd uh, frame it um, today in this idea that there's a need that Jesus brings out. It's kind of like bit by bit as he reveals it, as he engages with different people, and then that those in the background, he's kind of enemies, those throwing the pot shots who continually grumble and hate him, are like the middle-aged man. And we're going to see how this plays out. And what I want us to do is I want us to see, as we look through the passage, how does Jesus view the people that he meets? And also, how do they see or view Jesus? Why do I want us to do that today? Because as we finish today, I want you to ask the same question of yourself. How does Jesus see you? And how should you see him? So that's the framework in which we're going to think about this today. And I think, well, what, what's happened so far in this story? It's really important to understand what's happened so far because Jesus has come. We started Luke and we saw he's come fulfilling promises. This baby born come with so many promises and he's going to be the king and it's a rival of salvation as God's kingdom is coming. And then the other week um, when we looked at those three great kind of... Uh, kind of sections where we see Jesus' credentials to be able to do that play out. He gets baptized where he's anointed and God uh, God really ordained him. His father really says he's going to be able to do it. He's my man. We see his genealogy in which we see he's going to fulfill the promises to Abraham. He's going to be David's king. More than that, he's going to be a blessing to all of humanity, Adam. And we see our problem of sin he can deal with at the temptation. So the credentials are set, the promises come and then last week Peter really helpfully helped us see when he launches his mission in Luke what the nature of it is. If you've got a Bible in front of you it'd be helpful to open it up uh, today. I haven't got slides or anything today but and if you haven't got one feel free to just go up the back and grab one. Uh, don't feel bad about um, getting up. Uh, Luke 4 verse 18, Jesus walks into synagogue opens up the scroll, Isaiah 61, there it is, and he reads it out and he says, this is who I am, this is what my ministry is all about. Luke 4 verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then Jesus rolls up the scroll, sits back down, his version of dropping the microphone and walking out. That is it. That is his ministry. And they're looking at him. Imagine 
He's just said these amazing words from one of the greatest prophets of Israel and he's just identified himself as doing that. And what we saw a bit last week and what we need to realize uh, to remind ourselves today is that his ministry is to proclaim good news to the poor and that's just not those who don't have any money in their wallet, it's those who are the outsiders. The poor are those who are the social outcasts, whether they've got no money, whether they're unclean, whether they're really sick, whether they're despised because of the way they're behaved, whether they're, they're not Israelites, whatever it is about them, the social outsider is who Jesus is coming for. And it's to bring freedom for the prisoner. Freedom, which is actually highlighting that word there, is actually highlighting to Leviticus. Those of us reading Leviticus, there's the book of, uh, there's the day of Jubilee in Leviticus. If you get there in your reading, the day of Ju- Jubilee is this freedom where all debts and prisoners are freed. And Jesus is saying, this is what I've come to do. We're going to give sight, not just physical sight. As I mentioned before, I'd love a little bit of physical sight to fix up my eyesight. I know a lot of you would as well, but he's come for a sight that's way beyond the physical. The oppressed are going to be free. And so his news, his mission that he is launching is for the outsider. So what might we expect to happen next, do you reckon? What might happen next in the, in the drama? He meets some outsiders. And what happens when he meets them? And we're going to see he meets an ordinary, ordinary fisherman and a few other fishermen. He meets an unclean leper, a paralyzed man and a despised tax collector. All the while, there's another group in the background that aren't a very big fan of Jesus. Who are there seeing how he goes about meeting these social outsiders and thinking, that's not what God's king would do. So let's have a look. Let's see what he has to say as he meets these people. So first of all, in the first 11 verses, he meets the fishermen. He goes out, you know, the drama with with Simon and uh, after he's done some uh, teaching, he sets out the boat uh, and wants them to cast their nets. Um, and we see in verse 3, uh, uh, he asked Simon to put uh, out a little way from the land, and then after he began teaching, he told him to put down the nets for a catch. Have a look at Peter's... Uh, Simon, sorry, it's not Peter yet. Simon's response. <laughs> Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Translated, it's not going to work. <laughs> But you, at your bidding, I will let down the nets. Okay, so he's got some sense of, okay, it's you, so I'm going to do it anyway. But just so you know, you're wrong. When they had done this, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and the kind of nets begin to break, and and they needed to get others to come to to help them out. Had so many fish. Simon Peter saw this. And what does he do? He falls down at Jesus' feet. Well, I got that wrong. <laughs> and look, but look what he says. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He says, depart from me. First of all, Peter, he has some kind of understanding. Well, this guy is the guy. 
but he's still willing to say, nah, that's not going to work. And then, he, he, so he's not really trusting him, right? And then, when he does see that he had the ability to do that, which way does he go? Or which way does he suggest he needs to go? Well, he tells, he doesn't go anywhere. He tells Jesus to go away from him. And we'll see in the story, the whole point of how Jesus views us is that he wants to come to us. So Peter's got it the wrong way around. He's kind of seen, oh, I got that wrong. But his response wasn't, I'm sorry, I need to turn to you. It was, I'm not worthy. I, 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 I'm not good enough for God, depart from me. I'm, he's kind of, <laughs> you know how sometimes, uh, I've done it, I'm sure many of you do it. Some of us have probably got an inclination, part of our struggle and our personalities is that we tend to do the spiral into our own, oh, I'm hopeless, I'm useless, and that self-loathing. Peter's like, oh, I'm hopeless, no good, I'm a sinful man, get away from me, Lord. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't get away from him. And what's amazing about it, not only does he not go away from him, he says, actually, you are going to be the one that brings others to me. He ramps it up. See what he says in verse 10? Do not fear. Peter's like, oh, I'm so hopeless. God's not going to do, uh, want to be with me. So just get away from me, God. And, and Jesus says, do not fear. You, you will be with me because you're going to be with me and you're going to catch others and bring them to me. How Peter viewed Jesus, Peter's on a journey, as we know. And he sees this is, this is someone he needs to follow, but he's conflicted, he's kind of trusting him, and then Jesus says to him, Peter, you follow me, and that's, you've got a job to do. Jesus is saying to him, you're with me, I want to be with you, even when you are saying, I'm not worthy of you. You notice that? Ever feel unworthy from other people in your life? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt unworthy to God? Peter at this point feels completely and utterly unworthy and Jesus' response is, do not fear, your job is to be with me and catch others. It's very interesting how Jesus and Peter's interaction plays out. And then we get to the unclean leper in 12 to 16. And this is an amazing uh, story. Once again, we, we joked about last week how boring Leviticus is when we talked about it, but how important it actually is. Because now we've got a man who's unclean, a leper. And to be unclean is not to be evil in that you're an evil, wicked person. It's just that ceremonially, you're unclean before God. And that you can't be in his presence when you're unclean for whatever reason. And Leviticus outlines how that can play out. And one of those things is physical illness and touching of a sick person. And there's some mystery to it that, that, that um, lots of people have discussed and debated. But the idea is very clear. If, you, if, if, if you're um, sick like this leopard man is, no one can touch you because you are unclean. And then you're not fit to be in God's presence. So the whole idea of being with God is not possible. So hence all the rituals in Leviticus that we've been reading, reading about. And so what happens here as Jesus uh, encounters this leper? Look at verse 12. 
there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him. Peter fell to the ground. Get away from me. Unclean leper fell on his face and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing. Be clean. Be cleansed. And no surprise, as we've seen with Jesus, if he's willing to do something, it happens. And so it happens straight away. And he gets very excited about it. And he moves on, tells them not to tell anyone about it. But heaps of people hear about it. Imagine these things happening. There's going to be a build-up of excitement, right? Imagine if these things were happening now with all the social media that we have and all of the journalism that we have, how much attraction and build-up there would be. Well, in these local towns, everyone hears that through the social media of just talking to someone. And then the next person talks to someone and then everyone's gathering and wanting to get to him. And Jesus, what's he do? Well, he makes sure he heals every single person in the village. No. Verse 16, he himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. You see, because we've already established in the drama of Luke's gospel is Jesus' purpose is not to heal everyone. He could have stayed in villages and in smaller places, not the big, and get the job done with everybody if he so chose. But that wasn't his mission. His mission was to bring in the kingdom. And the significant part of healing was to reveal that kingdom and the bigger healing that needs to take place. And so sometimes the church throughout history has got that so desperately wrong. When Jesus never had the intention to always heal people, when there was a great multitude wanting to be healed and he'd often slip away. But getting back to the leper, we see a contrast, don't we, with how Peter is at this stage. He's trusting that this man can do something for him that has made him such a social outcast. That means he can't belong as one of God's people with God's people, the Israelites, because he is physically unclean, because he has been struck down with leprosy. It's a beautiful illustration of Jesus saying, I have come for the poor. He clean, cleans him. All the purification rituals of, the, of Leviticus and how the people had to interact, which served a purpose, which helped help them kind of be in God's presence in that way in that time, I just point to the fact that actually the whole idea of being clean comes through Jesus. And here he is. How does Jesus interact with him? Well, he tells Peter... You will catch men with me. He tells this leper, I am willing. The willingness of Jesus to make this man clean is crucial for us to see his willingness to truly clean us. The leper was totally dependent on Jesus' ability to deal with his greatest current problem. But then we see the Pharisees watching at all of his power in light of this. 
they saw the power of law was present with him in verse 17 and and it's in light of that right i don't think this is a surprise that luke's put it this way right you've got the pharisees noticing all of this happening and then we get the next encounter as we see uh the paralyzed man because jesus could have just healed the paralyzed man like he had the others but now we've heard that the pharisees are watching in so watch what he does this time in verse 18 there was a paralyzed man i i've always loved the idea of this story and always visualized it as a kid i don't know maybe i was taught it in sunday school one time and it really stuck in my brain but the whole idea of them taking this paralyzed man and pulling off the roof and lowering him down um it just it just fascinates me um that, that their desperation to do that they couldn't get to him so they climbed up on the roof, and but if he's if he's paralyzed, and they're on the roof, probably a flat roof, but still. And Jesus, verse twenty, seeing their faith, he sees the faith of those going. He can actually heal this man. Let's make it happen by getting him there. Jesus saying, "I see that you trust that I can do it." And so then Jesus just heals him. Look how verse twenty goes on to say, "Friend." Your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who aren't particularly happy, remember earlier they wanted to get rid of him already, and then and now, at the point where he could just heal this man, he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven, and the scribes and the Pharisees, of course, took the bait. Verse twenty one Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. <laughs> exactly right god alone can forgive sins because god alone who's been offended and jesus has just gone beyond the physical healing now to say to those that are antagonistic to him those who should be embracing him the great irony of it all i actually have come to forgive the greatest problem The nature of his ministry to come to the outsider is not a social justice gospel. There will be outworkings of that, obviously. But his greatest work is that sins are forgiven. The man's healed when Jesus sees his, his buddy's faith. It's outrageous to those who think that he's not God. It's outrageous to those who think that they don't need that. Peter acknowledges him kind of begrudgingly. The leper asks, and these guys, girls, does it say who they are? Um, some, some men. Some men were stopping at nothing to come to Jesus. How does Jesus see this man lower down through the roof? He sees his greatest need. His brokenness, his ultimate state not in a relationship with God, needing to be dealt with, needing to be forgiven. See, understanding sin is super important. 
uh, I resisted the temptation because you're probably sick of me doing it, but if you go and look at the Bible Project, they literally just released this week a new video on sin. And I thought as I was watching it, that's the problem for our world. We're just not willing to acknowledge that we do anything wrong before God. That when it comes between me and God, he needs to come to my terms, not me finding out how he has made me and what I am for and acknowledging I don't do that. As we get to Easter and we talk about Jesus conquering the grave and we're going to talk about did it actually happen or was it a hoax, part of that story is people need to be convinced that he needed to do that. Are you convinced of that? And then we get the tax collector. The old guy who gathers all the money, named Levi. Have a look at verse 27. And after that, he went out and noticed the tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. Jesus comes to him and just says, follow me. Jesus noticed him. So he's actually now going to someone who does not belong. The tax collector, he's probably not up there with like Zacchaeus. He's probably the one who collects the taxes to give to Zacchaeus. He is not impressive. He is despised. They, they were, it's like the worst job. You're not really a Jew anymore and the Romans don't respect you and you're in the tax office and he's despised. And Jesus sees him. One, maybe with money, but is a complete poor person. And he says, you follow me. How does Jesus see that this tax collector? As one who needs to give up everything for him. How does the tax collector see Jesus? You know, sometimes you can hear a testimony and someone explains in great depth their fantastic story and it's really challenging and really great. Here's, someone, here's an explanation of this guy's conversion story in, well, just a sentence, almost just a phrase. He left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. The response that he saw, and a lot yet, is to be understood. The idea that he's gonna, Jesus is going to die for him on the cross and, and take away all his sins. Is not gonna, oh, he hasn't got that yet, but he sees, I need to give up everything for Jesus. And that means I now go with him. And for him, it meant literally go with him. And the Pharisees continue to grumble. Why do you? <laughs> they can't believe that not only did this guy 
uh, you know, follow Jesus, they can't believe that he invites Jesus into his house with other tax collectors and other sinners and he, he invites them in and Jesus goes? That's such an offence to do something that's supposed to be so hospitable. And what's the tax collector doing? I want other people to be brought to Jesus. Back with Peter, you'll catch men. And straight away, <laughs> Levi has gone, okay, I'm going to get other people around my house. I'm going to invite Jesus and we're going to get them together. And the, and the, and the Pharisees hate it. Why, verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can you see how the Pharisees and scribes are middle-aged men? They don't think they need any help. They're the Pharisees and scribes. Have you ever at work been given the job by your boss to help someone else and they just refuse your help and how frustrating it is and you can't, you can't help them because they won't let help and it all falls apart and you're just thinking, that was so frustrating. Has that ever happened to you? When I was an occupational therapist, that, that, that happened to me when I was trying to run a group a group program and I knew I was told you got to make this group happen and you need to help the person running because they do it and I, and I and I it was one I had clarity on the type of people that were in the group and the steps you needed to make to make this uh this group happen about I think it was about self-esteem or something I can't remember but um and but not one of the bit of advice I gave them they accepted and it was absolute chaos it was like it was like a animal farm it was just absolute chaos The Pharisees don't think they need help. See, the issue is not that they're righteous. He says, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. Oh, that's okay because we're righteous so we don't need Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that they're not really righteous. The point is that they don't really see the need for a physician. See, Luke, a doctor, if we put here something that he has with clarity, the need to be to see Jesus as one who can heal. And the scope of his mission, it was clear that it was big from his statement from Isaiah 61, owning that. But as he's revealed, as he continues to in the story as well, it's to bring in people from all around who are socially outcast. And that's a challenge for us as we wouldn't generally say that we're a group of socially outcast people and while we may have some different backgrounds and things, we're fairly same, same on one level. If we had 10 people, imagine if another culture moved into this area. Just imagine that. Another culture moved into this area and they wanted to come and they needed help and assistance, but they didn't speak English that well. They didn't want to really particularly, we didn't know how to engage with them. What would we do? Imagine if that happened. That's not a hyper. That's not a, um, a made-up scenario, is it? 
Jesus wants everyone from all cultures, from all classes, from all outsiders to come to him. And the Pharisees just hate it. And the tax collector, well, he shows the true nature of how you respond. He turns to Jesus. We've seen the need to acknowledge him. We've seen that that trust that the leper had and the faith of those bringing the, the paralyzed man in. And, and, and the tax collector, he just, he just turned, literally turns and follows Jesus. The nature of how you respond is to turn back to God. And that's what he's done. It's here we see how we're to transform our way of thinking about life. That it goes all to Jesus. And throughout this uh, passage, which I haven't highlighted today, and, and I can see in Peter's outline, he really wanted, was going to make a point of the fact that we come to Jesus because he has the authority. He has the authority to cleanse and restore. He truly has the authority to forgive us our sins. He is the one who can, can actually fix our need. So let me ask you as we finish the two questions I wanted to bring us back to. How do you see Jesus? It's a personal question. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't know where you are, where you stand, or whether you have been following him for many years. How do you see him? Is he the doctor who has the medicine that truly does restore you? Is he the one who can forgive you? Do you see him as the one who is willing? Because brothers and sisters, they don't know yet what we know in the story. Could he be any more willing than going to a cross and taking everything you've done against God on himself? That's how we're to see Jesus day by day, day in, day out. We don't come to him and earn his favour. He comes to us at the cross. How do you see him? Do you see him as the one that you want to follow day in, day out? For some of us, it's to be confronted by this passage and realise I have to be like the tax collector right now and make that decision to turn around and follow him. That's what we need to do. For some of us, for maybe many of us, it's to realise my whole life is then not to turn back and then to go back to him and then to turn back and go back to him but to continue living for him, following him. Is that how you see him? Do you see that his forgiveness is something that you jump in and out of? Another big problem in um, Christianity's history. Ah, I've done a bad thing. 
And sometimes the sin that we do has great tragic consequences for uh, our lives. Some are different in how they affect. That's true. But we don't fall in and out of God's favour when we've truly repented, turned to Him. His forgiveness is absolute and final. We, we remind ourselves of that every time we have the Lord's Supper together, every month, don't we? That Jesus has promised forgiveness. He's done everything on the cross. Do you remember that? One of the biggest traps and we sometimes have that I think we all battle is to think there is something where I'm a little bit more like Peter than I am like the tax collector, where I am like the, uh, the leper, where I see how good God is and so instead of fleeing to him, I self-loathe and how wicked and hopeless I am. That's very different to saying, oh, well, my sins are okay because God forgives me. That's also a, not okay. We turn to God in true, humble repentance and no forgiveness is guaranteed. Because that's how we need to think about how we see Him. Are you tempted to think you're not good enough? Are you tempted to think you don't belong where God is? Because with the leper... He couldn't belong with God's people and in God's presence because of his leprosy. Do you kind of think and feel a little bit like you've got invisible leprosy? Jesus has come to say, I take away your visible, invisible leprosy. You don't need to think like that anymore. Do you think Jesus does have the authority or do you want to be more like the Pharisees who think that he, he can't because he's not God? And that gets back to Easter, doesn't it? Did he truly die and rise again? He did. Do you think that you don't need his medicine? That may have all happened, but ah, there's other stuff that's more important and I don't need it. Either you're sick and you need the cure... Or you're not sick. But you can't be sick and need the cure, not have the cure and stay healthy. Do you see Jesus as someone to trust and follow and to turn to? Like that tax collector. If you do, the absolute natural outworking is that you see Jesus as one who you want to follow and invite others to follow, like the tax collector did. There's no separation from those last two, to trust and follow him and want to invite others. I think it's very intentional by Luke to put the him immediately turning and following him and immediately having people in his home. This is a great passage. My prayer, we're going to pray in a moment, I'll pray in a moment, that we will truly acknowledge that we need Jesus. Whether it's for the first time today, which would be great joy, your life has changed. Or whether you convict yourselves to continue to see your need for Jesus.
That is what we're seeing as Jesus launches his mission. How desperately we need him. Let me pray. And my prayer will be that we acknowledge that we need Jesus. Moment of reflection in those times when we can consider our <laughs> those times this week where that's been highlighted. And then we'll thank him that he comes to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've seen today as you've launched launched your mission to the outsider, our need. Father, we pray that we won't self-delude ourselves into thinking we don't need you. That we can be honest with you. That we are in rebellion without Jesus. Help us to consider if we need to do what the tax collector did and make that decision to follow you. Help us as followers of you to continue not to delude ourselves and bring before you the times when we get it wrong, resting in your forgiveness as we consider this week. Father, we thank you that you are truly willing. Thank you that we see that uh, confirmed for us and actually achieved for us at the cross. Convict us of forgiveness. Thank you for its offer. Thank you for being our great physician. Amen.